Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Welcome to the broadcast. Glad you're joining me today. I'm here live in Kutztown, Pennsylvania at uh, Glory to Glory Church. I've been preaching here since Sunday night, 7 p.m., Monday and tonight, and then we're finishing off tomorrow where uh, we've been having awesome meetings, and we've had people come out from the broadcast. It's been nice meeting some of you, coming out from uh, Maryland, some of you from New Jersey, others of you from Allentown and the surrounding Pennsylvania uh, region. So it's been very nice meeting some of you. Uh, we've been having powerful meetings where people have been changed. Last night uh, was, was incredible. Someone that was, you know, genuinely saved. I mean, just... The whole nine yards, you can tell that God really, did, there was a regeneration of the heart that happened. And, and it's been every service, there's been people saved, people healed, people getting breakthrough in their area of need. And so God is not changed. The scripture says in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's not changed. The only thing is people stop preaching the Bible. People stop preaching the God of miracles, the God of breakthrough. And as a result, he's got nothing to confirm. Firm. But when you get back to the Bible, you'll start to have Bible results where God will start to confirm. You know, the scripture says in Jeremiah chapter one, that he watches over his word to perform it. God, if you would see it, he's actually looking over the banister of heaven, finding, trying to find one person who will receive his word, believe his word and act on his word so that he can show his power to a new generation. There is a generation that's here on planet earth that does not know the God of Israel, nor the works that he has done for the people of God. There's a generation that uh, is totally like a blank slate. And you know, some people take that from the negative sense. Oh, people don't want anything to do with God. No, I take it from the positive sense of that. The positive aspect of that is that there's people who literally are a blank slate and they, they don't have any opinion about God really, other than what they've heard in school. But when they come in contact with the truth of the word, things start to change on the inside of them. The Bible says a true witness will deliver souls and a good a good ambassador will bring health. When you start to represent Jesus the proper way, Jesus as seen in the Bible, Jesus as seen in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you start to declare uh, the truth of who he really is, that he's not some philosopher. He wasn't some good moral man. He wasn't some man that came to just, you know, help people on a very natural level. No, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cleansed the lepers. He cast out demons. He restored dead people back to life. The scripture says very clearly that through faith, people received breakthrough. Out of weakness, were made strong. Jesus Christ came to destroy the work of the devil and this generation is not going to miss out on that because God's raising up preachers uh, even through this broadcast, men and women uh, equipped with the arsenal of the Holy Ghost to set the captives free. And you're not going to miss out on that. God's going to use you. You're not faithful to this broadcast just so you can be informed. You're not faithful to this broadcast just so that you can hear something new. We're not stoics trying to just examine new things and hear something new and analyze what what what's going, you know, what new strain of Christianity is. No, we're here to receive from heaven so that as heaven touches us, we can touch this generation with the same power that, that, that has set us free. 
God will use you to do that. I want to go, go through, if you would, before I move on, if you can share this broadcast to get this word out to as many people as possible, today is going to mark the end of anxiety in many people's lives. Today, I had a totally different broadcast scheduled for today. I was going to do Godliness is Profitable. I even, I even announced it. Uh, through through a restream events calendar, I've, I even announced it and put it on our Facebook, scheduled the meeting for today at 1 p.m. But I felt strongly in my spirit to change it, like have a, a Peyton Manning audible at the line, to change it, to stop worrying, because I felt in my heart there's some of you watching right now live and some of you that are going to watch on the replay that your heart is gripped with anxiety that you thought you had been set free from but all of a sudden it came back overwhelmingly flooded your heart and you feel like you're helpless against this thing against this spirit of fear but i want to encourage you today that god has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind and you're going to leave this broadcast carrying that power carrying love and carrying a sound mind and not only that you'll be equipped with practical tools in your hand so the next time anxiety comes knocking on your door you're not just gonna I guess he's come back no you'll have power with God to boot it out even at its first at, at, at the first sight of it in Jesus mighty name so today I titled this broadcast stop worrying stop worrying Share this right now. If you know people that constantly are calling you, asking you for prayer, I'm having another panic attack. I feel like I'm going to go through a mental breakdown. I feel like things are crumbling in life. You have people that constantly are calling you to ask you for prayer. There's nothing wrong with prayer. We're going to talk about prayer today because that's one of the ways that you can cast your cares on the Lord so that you don't have to carry the cares and the worries and concerns any longer. But there's another way. There's a, there's a higher way. There's a way where you can walk stress-free in life. There's a way where you don't become the community prayer project that every time pastor asks are there any prayer requests, your right hand goes up, your left hand goes up, your two feet go up, and, and, and you're just you know, uh, constantly in need of a prayer, constantly in need of a breakthrough, constantly in need of peace. Jesus said in John 14, verse 27, I have come to give you my peace. My peace give I unto thee. Therefore, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. God doesn't want your heart to be troubled. God doesn't want you to be troubled with everything going on in this world. God, that's not to say we're ignoring what's going on in this world, but it shouldn't trouble you. It shouldn't concern you. Psalm 46 says it perfectly. Uh, my God is a refuge and our strength, a very present help in in times of trouble and then he moves on to say even though the mountains collapse even though the waters and the seas roar yet I shall be confident in my God for God is in the midst of my life I shall not be afraid I shall not be discouraged I shall not give up and quit I shall not have my hands laying, uh, hang down and just walk around like I'm the third guy on the left on the evolution chart no I've got power with God that no matter what comes my way I'm anointed to overcome. No matter what comes my way, I'm anointed to break through. No matter what comes my way, there's no Red Sea that can stand the presence of God in me. It has to part. Every Jordan has to part. Every mountain has to be removed. Every obstacle has to, be, has to fall flat. Every chain has to come and be removed. Everything that the devil tries to set up in front of me to try and get me to slip up and stumble and quit, those things, Jesus said, I'm going to go before 
before you as a good shepherd. And I'm going to make every crooked place straight. I'm going to make every rough path smooth. I'm going to make every mountain to be leveled and every valley to be filled. Jesus said very clearly, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. And worry robs people of that abundant life. Stress, anxiety, depression, all of those things are weights that people unnecessarily carry in life and think they have to go through it because they've been told by ministers. They've been told by pastors and preachers and evangelists that how many of you know that we, you know, no matter what comes our way in this life, the storm might be hard, but if you'll just keep on hanging on, one day it'll be worth it. You know, Jesus didn't get up and and, and, and tell the disciples that in Mark chapter 4, when the storm had come against the boat and the water was beginning to fill the boat, he didn't get up and say, how many of you know, you know, Jesus didn't promise us, uh, God didn't promise us a stress-free life. He just said that somehow we'd make it through it to the other side, even though we're broken and bruised and maybe one black eye, you know, we'll have, those black eyes will be a testimony of what we've been through. Who are we trying to glorify? Are we trying to glorify us? Is a black eye a testimony of God's good? or of our ability to endure <laughs> doesn't give glory to God at all you know what gives glory to God Jesus did it perfectly he got up in the midst of the storm and he talked to the storm and said hush be still and the storm subsided and they made it to the other side no matter what the devil had planned for them God's plan prevailed in their life and I tell you in the onset of this broadcast no matter what the devil has planned for you and your family no matter what they've been drying up in hell the blueprints that they've designed to make life miserable for you on the earth they are all coming a tumbling down all blueprints are being burnt up the bible says they shall devise a plot which they will be unable to perform the devil work overtime to form the weapon the bible doesn't say weapons won't be formed against you the bible doesn't say that the devil's not going to try something the scripture does say however that the weapon he forms will never prosper you know what that tells you god's really smart god's a wise god he's very intelligent and the devil is completely stupid because god will let the devil design and expend all his resources designing this weapon trying to do everything working overtime staying up long hours use all his resources use all his energy use all his efforts to design this masterful weapon against the righteous but Jesus already said that all of them will never prosper so God lets the devil design the weapon he didn't say he'll stop the devil from designing the weapon he just said that the weapon will never prosper so this in this world you might face trial you might have tribulation, but you have power with God, not just to make it through. We're not called to strive through life and just survive. We're called to thrive where others are striving and to be the head always and never the tail. And that's where you're going to, that's where you're going to go today in Jesus mighty name. Stop worrying. Turn with me if you would to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. I've been loving preaching again, man, live meetings. I haven't done it since November 29th because in Canada everything's shut. So we came to the U.S. and it's been amazing. I have had the time of my life. Luke chapter 18. Sorry, it's not, it's not Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. If you're just joining me now, please help me to get this word out to as many people as possible by sharing this broadcast. Share it as many, people, as many times as you can. If people can share uh, cats doing backflips, then how much more should you be sharing the gospel that's actually going to help people and not just give them like three seconds of joy? Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village 
and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who had also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. That's what you're doing right now. You're sitting at the feet. I'm not Jesus, but the word of God is Jesus in print. And as you hear the word, you're sitting at Jesus' feet. That's why we make time to do these broadcasts. So that weekly we can sit at the feet of Jesus and hear what heaven has to say to us. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which shall never be taken away from her. You have two sisters, Mary and Martha. One of them saw Jesus come into the house and noticed there's something different about this guy. This guy carries power. He's not like the Pharisees. He's not like the Sadducees. When he speaks, things happen. Mountains are moved. Things shift. Atmospheres change. When this guy speaks, man, I feel good. So she made it a point. I'm going to sit at his feet and hear what he has to say because there's something. I know that I'm not wasting my time. I'm profiting from listening, hearkening unto the voice of the Lord. You know, the Bible says in Job chapter 22 that you are to acquaint yourself with God and be at peace. Listen to his instructions and lay up his word in your heart and thereby good shall come to you. This is not a waste of time that you're doing right now. Taking your hour off your lunch break or whatever, you, wherever you find yourself just to tune in, having your AirPods in or earpods in or whatever they have, earphones on in your ears right now. This ain't a waste of time. This isn't an hour just to listen. This is an hour where the Bible says you're laying up God's word in your heart and as such, the evil that was coming your way is being brought down to nothing and good begins to come your way. That's why Psalm 23 says, surely, David said, surely, surely, not maybe, not sometimes. He said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Why did, why did he know goodness and mercy was going to follow him all the days of his life? Because if you start with verse 1, Psalm 23, 1 says, when the Lord is your shepherd, when you're listening to his voice. Remember what Jesus said in John 10? My sheep hear my voice and they know my voice. And where I lead them, they follow. So when the Lord is your shepherd and you're hearing God's voice, which is his word. People always ask me, man, I've hadn't heard, I haven't heard God's voice in so long. I just don't know if he wants to talk to me anymore. I think he's abandoned me. You want to hear God's voice? Take this book and open it up and lay your ear straight down to its pages. Start to read it. Start to read it out loud. You want to hear God's voice for your life? You want to hear what God has to say to you? today read your bible out loud and pay attention that this book the bible says forever thy word O god is settled in the heavens the heavens can pass away the earth can pass away but the word of the lord has never changed the scripture says in hebrews chapter 10 god showing abraham the immutability of his word he confirmed it by an oath and since he can swear by no one greater he swore by himself that um that in blessing he will bless us. The Bible says he desired to show the immutability, the unchangeableness of his word. And he did that by swearing by an oath. This book, these promises, these instructions, that if you'll carry out this instruction, God said, I'll do this for you. 
that is backed up by an oath that God himself has sworn by himself. These blessings carry a sworn blessing behind them. This isn't just God one day, you know, he's a bipolar God and some days he's got really happy and excited and so he wrote down all these marvelous things that have blessed the Lord, oh my soul, forget not all his benefits. He forgives all my sins. Oh my goodness, what a great thing. He heals all my diseases. He redeems my life from the pit. Well, then the next chapter you go on and he says he actually didn't do all that. God was having a, 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 a manic spike in his bipolar disorder and so he started to say things that actually he didn't really mean no the bible says what he says what God said he meant and what he meant he said the scripture says God is not a man that he should lie nor the son of man that he should change his mind he's not going up and down he's not happy one day and sad the other he's not wanting to bless you one day and then break you down the other God's word is God's will and his will has not changed concerning you Jeremiah 29 verse 11 I know the thoughts I have for you I know the plans and purposes I have for you they're plans to bless you and to make you a blessing to not harm you or destroy you but to prosper you everywhere you go so Mary sat down and heard those words and the Bible doesn't say she was worried and troubled but Martha her sister she she didn't put value on the word of God so she was running around helter skelter like a chicken without her head and just trying to get things in order that's what a lot of people try and do attack comes their way and they try and do everything in their power if I can just get enough inner strain I can get things in order you know I need I need to be in control as long as you're in control God's not in control of your situation but the moment you say Lord I'm losing I'm forfeiting the control of my situation and I'm handing it over to you then God assumes control and the good news is is when God assumes control <laughs> he doesn't lose he never lost a battle and you're not about to taint his track record you're not that special that you're going to actually God has like infinity on the win victory margin and he's got zero on the loss you're not too special to add a loss to God's track record he's never lost a battle and he ain't gonna start now and he won't start with you God always leads us to triumph by Christ Jesus first Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 7 uh, 57 the Bible says thanks be unto God who always gives us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord hallelujah that's why when you start to meditate on these promises and you start to see that the Lord is my light the Lord is my salvation whom shall I fear what shall I be afraid of if God is the stronghold of my life if I abide in him and he abides in me if I'm connected with divine nature if God's very own spirit lives in me he's not living in you so you can just make it he's living in you so you can triumph over all that comes against you hallelujah so you you have to start being like a Martha the first thing if you want to stop worrying you have to you have to realize Luke version of the Sermon on the Mount Jesus said don't worry about your life if you aren't able to do the least of things in life why do you worry about the rest meaning if you aren't able to get yourself out of bed this morning why are you worried about making it through the day if God was the one that lifted you out of bed who woke you up you think you woke up by accident today you think you think you woke up because that's just how how life is, ever since you've been a child, you've gone to bed and woken up. That's just, you know, that's just what it is. No, you woke up because God woke you up. There are many people that went to bed and never woke up. A prominent minister that I know, his son, who's a minister, woke up. He went to bed and never woke up. So the fact that you woke up this morning is proof that God's hands on your life. And if you weren't able to do the least, you think your alarm clock woke you up? No. 
There's an angel in heaven that comes every morning to knock you up and then wake you up. And the Bible says if you're not able to do the least of those, what makes you think? What makes you think that you're able to complete the rest? The rest. So if God did the least of those, God will do the rest. So the first thing you have to settle in your heart today is worrying doesn't add a bit to my life. Me worrying about my situation is not giving me any control over my situation. There were 12 spies that went out to spy the, Hebrew, the, the Canaan land that God had promised to give them. The 12 all saw the land was great. The land was flowing with milk and honey. The land was filled with uh, clusters of grapes that took six men to carry one cluster. The land was indeed a prosperous land and it had walls that were fortified. But then and they all saw the giants. They all saw how great the giants were. They all saw how big the giants were. But the scripture says that 10 of them gave an evil report of unbelief. They were like Martha. Well, you know, we saw. Yes, it indeed is. God wasn't lying. This is a great land. God was not lying. There's, you know, the promises he spoke are actually all there. God wasn't lying. This is a very prosperous field. God wasn't lying. This thing is actually the mountains are, are, are watered by heaven itself. And the fields are watered by heaven itself. This is a great land that God's given us but nevertheless they started to worry they started to take their gaze off of the promise and started to put their eyes on the problem and if you magnify the problem you're never gonna walk in the promise that's why David said come let us exalt the Lord together Lord be magnified Psalm 34 let us magnify the Lord together let us exalt his name together you have to quit magnifying the problems yes problems are real in real in life yes situations might have come against you but much more real is the power of God that's available to you to overcome no matter what the problem is that's the secret to David David in 1 Samuel 30 he has a massive problem he went out to war. While he was out to war, the Philistines came in by Zik, uh, to Ziklag where his family and all the warriors' families were camping out. And they ransacked, burnt everything, and kidnapped the children and kidnapped the women. And the Bible says when the soldiers returned, everybody saw that their children and, and their wives had been taken captive and they wept much. And they wept until there was no more power to weep. But you notice something, that as much as they wept, their situation didn't change. That's why David had a, a revelation. Man, we've been crying this whole time. Nothing's changed. It's not like by crying our children are coming back. It's not, you know, your tears. Tears are good because they show desperation. Tears are good. You can cry. Uh, you can cry in faith and have tears. But there's a lot of people that have no faith. They just have tears. Tears by themselves do not correct problems. Tears that are backed by faith and a heartfelt faith. That's what taps into the heart of God. That's what get, gets God to move and to act and to intervene on your behalf. Tears by himself, if you're just tearing, there's a lot of people, they enter into prayer and all they know to do is, Lord, why is this like this? God, I feel like I'm going through a mental breakdown. God, I feel this way. God, I feel like this. Do you know the Bible says a fool vents all his feelings? Do you think prayer is a venting session for you to, to vent all your feelings? This is what, do you think God needs a, 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 um, a, a, an update on what's going on in your life he doesn't need an update he doesn't want you to come in swinging your fist at him god i can't believe you had this happen to me lord i can't believe after all i've done you know that's what hezekiah that's the secret hezekiah had the bible says he had served god remembered god's covenant he actually tore down the altars that were erected to foreign gods in israel and he set up one altar in the land and he had many victories 
against the king of Assyria. And you could just study his life in 2 Chronicles. Then one day, Isaiah comes to him and says, the sickness you have will result in death. Get your, get your house in order. Do you know what Hezekiah did? God, I can't believe you'd kill me this young. Oh, but you know what? Nevertheless, not mine will, but thine be done. No, he turned his back. He turned his face towards the wall facing the temple, which is where God's presence was. And he, with desperation and a cry of faith, began to lift up his voice and say, Lord, remember how I've served you all my life. Remember how I've kept your covenant. Remember how I've done everything to, to, to advance your kingdom here on the earth. Give me an extension in my life. I refuse to die. I refuse. Do you know what prayer is? Prayer is not... You, you know, asking God to make you at ease with the situations. Prayer is you asking God to change the situation. Prayer moves the hand that can move the world in your favor. So when, she, when he did that, you know what happened? Isaiah was about walking out the, 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 the king's courts. And God spun him around on his feet and said, go back into the chambers of the king. And tell him I've added 15 years. You can't pray like that. You can't have a, a violent faith in prayer like that and not get secure an answer from heaven and I tell you some of you have complained and you've worried and you've sorrowed over your situation and all it's done is get you to go in a circle constantly going around the same problem no walls falling you know it wasn't Israel walking around the walls of Jericho that caused the walls to fall flat. It was their obedience in faith. It was when they cried out, they began to praise, give thanks for what God was about to do that caused the walls to fall down. Some of you have asked, some of you have cried, some of you have expressed your desperation for a change, but I tell you today as you lift up your voice in praise and start to praise God ahead of time for what he's going to do, that you know what complaining does? Complaining is praise in the devil. Faith praises God ahead of time before the walls fall and when you do that, God descends. You know, prayer ascends heaven and God will dispatch angels to attend to your prayer, but Praise, praise gets God himself to rise up and say, angels, you got a day off. I myself, I'm going to come down. And when God's feet touched the earth, the walls of Jericho could not stand the earthquake that was generated by the presence of God. Hell will not stand the earthquake that shall be generated by God's presence coming alongside you this day in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stop worrying. Turn with me to Philippians 4. Philippians chapter 4. If you're just joining me now, please help me by sharing this broadcast. Get the, this message out to as many people as possible. It'd be a great help to me. Philippians chapter 4. Where am I? Verse 4, this is what Paul's saying, and Paul's not saying this from the Marriott Hotel in New York City. He's not at the Double Tree. He's not at the Omni Hotel and Resort, an all-inclusive resort, enjoying a, a virgin strawberry daiquiri on the beach. He's writing this from prison, the worst hour of his life, where he had been flogged and whipped, beaten, and was locked up in the inner chambers of a prison. And this is what the Bible says. Verse 4. This is how he starts this out. Rejoice. What do you mean rejoice? You think I have any reason to rejoice after everything's going wrong in my life? Rejoice. You know that joy? 
is not circumstantial. Happiness is circumstantial. You can be happy based on happenings, but joy is rooted in your heart based on confidence on what God has said about you and how you'll never, you'll never come out of something at a lesser place. God, anytime something comes against you. Paul even said at the beginning of this book that my pr imprisonment has turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Anything the devil tries to do to suppress and oppress you actually backfires and ends up launching you and catapulting you into a higher place in life. You can study the entirety of scriptures. That's what it's all about. That's why the Bible is written. It's to show you that you can't hook up with God and end up at a worse place. When you hook up with God, you always go from glory to glory, from victory to victory, and from strength to strength. That's why Paul said rejoice. There's no reason for you. To, there is no reason for any of you to be uh, down today. That's why David said in Psalm 42, why so downcast, O my soul? He, you know, when I was quoting before, 1 Samuel 30, he had every reason to be downcast. His wife and his children had been taken captive. Who knows what they were doing? If they were raping a woman or whatnot, who knows? So if there was, and even that, after that, David is facing the people now. His own soldiers have turned against them and they spake of stoning him. You want to talk about a bad day. That's a bad day. And look at what David did. Did David cross his arms and say, well, you know, nobody ever said serving God would be easy. He just, no, he encouraged himself in the Lord. He started to remind himself of the victory God gave him when he took Goliath's head off, when the bear came against his sheep. And he ripped the sheep out of its mouth and destroyed the bear and killed the lion. He started to remind himself how not only did he take off Goliath's head, he went after his other four brothers and took off their heads too. And the same God that was faithful to give him victory then. I know, I know that this is going to turn out. All things work together for good to those that walk uprightly, to those that are called according to his purpose. And David encouraged himself in the Lord, began to reminisce. You know, you study what David uh, the way he trained his mind. Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. You know what the counsel of the wicked is? It's when people say you're not going to make it. That's the wicked's counsel. When the world starts to say you're against, you're against all odds. There's no way you'll come out of this one. That's the wicked counsel. Well, the scripture says you're blessed when you don't take that advice. You're blessed when you don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Nor do you stand in the path of sinners. Don't take the advice of sinners. Who cares what your backslidden aunt said? Oh, you know, you know, my husband left me when I was 30. So just expect, don't. Don't expect them to stay long, long, to stay around long enough. They'll end up leaving at some point. You got to train yourself to just expect that. You know, just because it happened for them, they don't even serve the Lord, so they get to eat of uh, of the the consequences of not serving the Lord. But as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. And the Bible says, if you be willing and obedient, you're going to taste of the good of the promises of God, the good of the land. So David started to. He said, I'm not going to walk in the counsel of the wicked. I'm not going to take what other people are saying about me. I'm not going to eat and digest and ingest all the whispers of the lies of the devil telling me that I'm, I, you know, I'm washed up. And that my best days were 30 years ago from now on. It's just downhill from there. No, I'm going to, I'm going to remember what the Lord did from beyond the Jordan. The Bible says, I, I will meditate on his word day and night, day and night. Because the word of God will generate faith in you for present battles and present day 
uh, situations. And not just to give you faith so you can just be happy while hell is breaking loose against you. When faith rises up in you, faith is a force that the enemy in 2021 has no ability to deal with and it's not enough just to have faith in your heart if all David did was just encourage himself in the Lord that's where people stop it they just encourage themselves they just try and you know uh, you know I'll just I, I'm just believing things are going to turn around that's one step but the Bible says that David went a step further after he encouraged himself in the Lord he inquired of the Lord he went to pray he talked to God about his situation and God gave him a way out and he said yes you've lost a lot but you shall without fail recover all some of you your anxiety and your worry is rooted in a, a battle that you lost five months ago a year ago five years ago ten years ago and you haven't been able to recover from that spirit of fear that came on you when you saw a relative die prematurely but I tell you today in the name of Jesus everything that the enemy successfully robbed from you he's a thief that's come to steal kill and destroy the same word that God gave David in that day I'm giving you today if you'll rise up and begin to pray about what's come against you and pray about your circumstance you shall without fail recover all the swarming locusts have chewed things up the Bible says in Joel chapter 2 I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten I'm gonna restore the years that the swarming locusts have eaten I'm gonna restore everything the enemy has stolen from you he's gonna not only bring it back to you you're not only gonna take those things back He'll have to pay interest for all those years he made you suffer in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So rejoice and be glad. Again, I'll say rejoice. And it doesn't say rejoice when things are going well. Rejoice when things aren't going well. That's precisely the exact time, the, the necessary time, the imperative time. To, to rejoice. When you feel like it's hard to lift your hands, that's exactly the time where you should force yourself to lift up your hands and say, Lord, I will bless the Lord at all times. Your praise shall continuously come from my mouth. I will offer up unto you the sacrifice of praise no matter what I'm seeing because I know I serve the God of turnaround. I know that I serve a God who can make every crooked place straight. I know that I serve the God who can raise the dead. And if you can raise the dead and death is the strongest agent of hell I know that everything else that the devil would throw my way is just easy for you're the God of all flesh and there's nothing that's too difficult for you there's nothing quit getting the devil to deceive you and, and, and twist your thinking into thinking that your case is different and that your case is 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 a different one it's it's not a common case you know God's able to do certain things but you know at this point he kind of has to regroup the angels in heaven and have an emergency meeting and say hey, angels we're gonna have to we're gonna have to structure something new here we've never had this happen we've never had this stage of cancer we've never had this diet no the Bible says that thou Lord hath made the heavens and the earth by his great power and outstretched arm hallelujah and his ear is not deaf and his arm is not shortened that it can't save that it can't pull you out of the flames that hell's been trying to burn you up with I tell you the same God that stood with Shadrach Meshach and Abednego in that burning fiery furnace he's standing by you today and the furnace that you're feeling now will be turned into an air conditioning unit and you're gonna come out of it unscathed untouched their clothes were not burnt off their hairs were not burnt and they didn't even smell like smoke because 
God said in Isaiah 43, I've called you by my name. I've redeemed you by my name. You are mine. You don't just belong to some uh, indifferent God in heaven. He's a good father and he's claimed you for his own self. And when you start to touch the property of God, God gets offended. And when God arises, he scatters his enemies. When you go through the water, he said, I'll be with you and they won't drown you. When you go through the fire, the flame will not burn you. You'll come out because I, you are precious to his sight. He said, even if your father and mother forget you, I, the Lord, will never forget you. God's not forgotten about you. God's not forsaken you. God's not kicked you to the curb and abandoned you. He's still on call. He's still on call. They used to have a, a song they sang in old uh, Pentecostal circles they'd say Jesus is on the main line tell him what you want he's still on call he's still on the main line just pick up your phone called faith and in prayer and begin to call him up and tell him what you want and God will not upbraid you the Bible says he won't rebuke you for asking God wouldn't promise you God would not ask you to pray unless he had promised to answer those prayers so call unto him ask him great and mighty things and he said I'm able to do far more abundantly all that you can ask think or imagine hallelujah let your gentleness be known to all men the Lord is at hand be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be known to God so be anxious for nothing I want you to write that in the comment section I will be anxious for nothing or I will worry about nothing I will worry about nothing that's just as much a command as thou shalt not covet thou shalt not steal thou shalt not commit adultery do not be anxious for anything. So when anxiety comes on you, you have, God wouldn't give you a, a command without giving you power to fulfill that command. You don't have to fall victim to it. You, can ha you have a resisting force in you. The scripture says the, thief, the devil comes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But resist him. Stand firm in the faith. So you have power to resist the devil, whether you think you have it or not. Doesn't matter whether I think I have money in the bank or not. I have money in the bank. That's a fact. There was a man who was in Chicago. And he was a known homeless man. Went to collect cans and bottles and whatnot. And he lived in a government housing. Paying $5 a month for... for um, this was back in the 1920s. $5 a month for room and, and board and stuff. And uh, it was a small little 200 square foot bachelor pad. 300 square foot bachelor pad. And he uh, ended up one day dying. And his neighbors started to smell like death coming from that room. So they called the police. The police broke down the door. And they found him there, dead on the floor, skin and bones. He had died of starvation. And he had a little, like a fanny pack around his waist. And they opened up the fanny pack. And in the fanny pack was 23,000 U.S. dollars in the 1920s. So this guy, though he had the ability to go to the nicest hotels and eat lobster and filet mignon all, all day though he had that ability though the resources were at his disposal he ended up dying a pauper and dying of starvation he was emaciated so just you know he there's a lot of people who don't feel like they have anything they, there's people who feel like they don't carry power doesn't matter what you feel. The fact is, could you imagine that guy? I feel like I'm poor. He felt poor. He still had a poverty mindset. He still carried himself like a poor man, even though he had very high, very great riches tied around his waist. That's what Christians do. They have everything. All power has been made available to them through godliness, uh, for godliness and for life. 
But they, they wake up in the morning, well, I don't feel anointed. I don't feel like I'm stronger than the devil. Who cares if you don't feel like you're stronger than the devil? The script, we don't walk by sight. We don't walk by our feelings. Smith Wigglesworth used to say it this way. We, um, I don't believe. What, what would he say? Smith Wigglesworth used to say, I don't walk by what I hear. I don't walk by what I see. I don't walk by how I feel. I walk by what the word of God says about me. Hallelujah. And that's why, whether he felt like preaching and laying hands on... What the heck? Like a bee in me. Goodness gracious, like a bee in this room. Whether, whether, whether he felt like preaching that day and laying hands on the sick or not, he did it. And he had miracles. Because faith does not operate by what it sees. Faith operates by what it knows in its heart to be true. So what happens? Be anxious for nothing. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, if there's anything that is lovely or of good report, anything that is virtuous or praiseworthy, dwell on these things, meditate on these things, and the things that you've learned and received and heard inside me, these things do, and the God of peace will be with you. So the God of peace won't just be with anyone. He'll be with people who intentionally set their minds on the things of heaven. They set their minds on things that are true. They set their minds on things that are good. So I want to go through three very simple points on how you can stop worrying, how you can beat worry in your life, how you can leave the realm of anxiety and enter into the realm of overflowing peace in your heart. Number one, number one is you need to live holy. You need to learn to live holy. If you're in sin, you'll always reap the consequence of sin, which is panic. So Psalm 16, 4 says, Many sorrows will be to those who hasten after other gods. Many sorrows. The Bible says that God told uh, Cain in Genesis chapter 4, If you do well, will not your heart be lifted? Will not your joy be lifted? Will not your countenance be lifted? But if you don't do well, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you. Sin brings Depression. Sin brings anxiety. The Bible says, He that sows in sin shall reap in sorrow. The scripture says that um, He that sows in sin, wait, let me read it. So, Proverbs chapter Proverbs chapter 11, verse 19. As righteousness leads to, to life, he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. So righteousness is what's le what leads you to joy. The Bible says if righteousness can exalt a nation, how much more can it exalt and lift up an, an individual out of the pit of depression? So the first thing you have to do today is covenant with God. I'm leaving my sin. There's nothing, I'm not going to allow anything to get between me and God. I'm not going to let anything stop me from drinking from the rivers of God that the Bible says make glad the city of God. And sin does that. Sin is a poison that eats away at man's spirit, at man's soul, and at man's body. And the soul is where people get depressed. Your soul is your emotions. It's where, it's where um, joy, it's where depression settles in. 
Your soul is where, where you need to guard. That's why uh, the Proverbs writer said in Proverbs 4.24, guard your heart above all things, for out of it flows the issues of life. So when you're living in unrepented sin, when you're doing, you know, just living life, not keeping a firm check on your life, that's when things, that's when there's a flood of, of, of anxious thinking. Bible says, he that is of a merry heart has a continual feast, but... He that walks in evil, let me read it. Man, I don't know why that scripture did not pop into my spirit accurately. All the days of the afflicted are evil, and he who has a merry heart is, has a continual feast. So all the days of the afflicted, all the days that are those that are bound by sin, they're evil. There's no hope. The Bible says the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Death eats away at everything that, that, um, that pertains to their life. But on the flip side, godliness is profitable unto all things. It holds power in the life that now is and in the life that is to come. So number one, I'm not going to stay long on that because that's a given. If you're walking with the devil, he's going to take you wherever he wants you to go. But if you'll join hands with the nail-scarred hand of Jesus, the Bible says the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, understanding will be transmitted from heaven to you. Number one, you have to learn to live holy. Number two, and the, the learning to live holy, it's actually kind of not said well. I, I shouldn't have said learn to live holy because you can't really learn to live holy. It's God's Spirit coming on the inside of you that empowers you to live holy. Number two is you need to learn to deal with thoughts. I'm going to focus on this today. You don't just, a thought can come into your mind, but it doesn't have to stay there. A bird can cross over your, your house, but you don't have to have it build a nest in your gutters. You can get a broom and just knock it out. You can have bees all around you, but you don't have to stay there. You don't have to let them swarm around the nest of your head. You can, you can, you can uh, expel them. You can do something to get them to leave. In the same vein, thoughts can cross your mind, but you don't have to accept every thought that crosses your mind. You can do something to expel the thought and then think on good things. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your body. But rather, seek first the kingdom of God. So your mind will never be vacant. Your mind's never just going to stay at, a, at a, a, um, a neutral level. Your mind's going to constantly be thinking of something. But you could choose. Your mind doesn't have dominion over you. You have dominion over your mind. You can choose to set your mind on good things. That's why I read in Philippians 4.8. Whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is good, Whatsoever is noteworthy, whatsoever is praiseworthy, dwell on these things. And the God of peace will guard your mind and your heart in Christ Jesus. David said, how I love thy law. It's my meditation all the day. God told Joshua, don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. But be careful to meditate on it day and night. For then your way will be prosperous and then you'll have success. The Bible says, let this word dwell within you richly in all wisdom and admonition. So Jesus told his disciples, let this word sink deep down into your hearts. So you can choose to think. You can choose to where you can choose where your mind is focused. The Bible says we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Matthew 14 tells the story of Peter seeing Jesus walking on water and he perceived, he thought it was a ghost. And he began to cry out for fear. 
And then Jesus said, it's I, don't be afraid. And Peter said, let me test you. If it's really you, you'll let me do what you're doing because Jesus would never do something without empowering his disciples to do the same. So if it's really you, command me to come out on the water. Jesus said, come. So when he gave the word and Peter got the word in his heart, he stepped out on the water and he began to walk on water. But notice what happened next. As long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he stayed above the water. Gravity and the laws of gravity lost hold on him, and he began to walk by the supernatural law. But then the moment he took his eyes off Jesus, and he looked to the boisterous winds around him, he looked at the unfavorable circumstances, he looked at the storm that was sent to wipe him out, he looked at the problems that he was facing, and got his eyes off the promises that God had spoken. As a result, the Bible says he began to sink. It was never God's will for him to sink. It was God's will for him to walk on water. And Jesus and him were not even going to get back in the boat. They were going to go straight to the other side. But notice, when he allowed thoughts of doubt, thoughts of worry, thoughts of not, thoughts of not making it, thoughts of concern, thoughts of unbelief to permeate his heart, that's when he began to sink. If you don't take a firm check over what's allowed in here, your life is going to be a mess. You have to, David said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Jesus said it this way, if your eye is single, if your eye is focused on me, if your, your, your attention is placed on me and my word, then your whole life will be filled and beaming with light. But if your eye is split and unstable, Looking at good reports one day and then, you know, dwelling on the negative the next day. Your whole body, it, your life is going to be filled with darkness. James 1 says, when you ask God, ask in faith, don't doubt. For a doubtful man is unstable in all his ways. You have many Christians that live that, like that in the, in the body of Christ. They hear a message like this. They leave, plotting, praise God, I'm going to make it. I, I feel like faith infused in me. There's, they feel like David felt in Psalm 18. I can run through a troop. I can leap over a wall. Man, I'm just looking for a devil to stand my way today so I can show him who's boss. And then they end up going and pu putting on another broadcast where the preacher tells them, how many of you know, you know, we're not promised victory here, but one day in heaven we'll have a mansion with gold on it, with streets of gold as we You know, they get you to start having a defeated mindset, have a victimhood mindset, start having a mediocre thought process. And you know what? As a man thinketh, so is he. That's why the devil works overtime in your mind, because if he can get you to think poor thoughts about yourself, he'll create in you a poor life he'll create in you a mediocre life if he can get a poor pattern of thinking about yourself in your own heart where you start to dwell on his lies and dwell on the world's lies and dwell on 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 um, the problems of life then he he's got you bound he's got you captive he's got you uh in his grip because a man, as a man thinketh, so is he. No matter what God wants to do. Matthew, Mark 6, Jesus came to Nazareth. But they didn't see him as the Messiah. They saw him as the little boy that grew up in Nazareth. That was the carpenter's son. And they took offense at him. And Jesus, as anointed as he was, could do nothing in Nazareth because of their unbelief. Faith is not the risk. Unbelief is the real risk. When you adopt and entertain thoughts of unbelief, thoughts of mediocrity, thoughts of, of, of defeat, thoughts of failure, 
Thought, thoughts of not making it. Thoughts of your children not being blessed. Thoughts of, your, 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 of, of poverty. As a man thinketh, so will he, so will he be. So what do you do? How do you, how do you take captive those thoughts? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Taking every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, casting down imaginations and every high and lofty thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So how do you take those thoughts into captivity? Because a lot of you have heard that we're to take our thoughts into captivity, but you don't know how to take your thought into captivity. So you're just confessing, Lord, I take that thought into captivity, but that's not how you take a thought into captivity. There's actually a way you can do it, a practical way you can do it. Number one, you have to identify the thought you're having. And the source, the, or, the origin. Identify the origin of the thought that you're having. How do you identify the origins of the thought you're having? Very simple. Does it bring you joy? Does it bring you peace? Does it bring you serenity? Does it bring you uh, ha uh, happiness? Does it, 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 when you think about it, does it just flood your heart with worry and concern and you start to lose hair and you start to lose sleep and you start to have no appetite? If that's the case, you can know it's not from heaven because the Bible says in Isaiah 55 that he'll bring forth his people with joy and lead them out with peace. And God said in the book of Psalms, he shall speak peace unto his people and peace to his inheritance. The Bible says, my peace give I unto thee. The scripture says, when uh, great peace have they that love his word and nothing shall cause them to stumble. So when God speaks, peace floods the heart. When the devil speaks, it's the total opposite. When the devil opens up his mouth, anxiety comes in, worry comes in, uncertainty of the future comes in, you start to panic, you start to have palpitations in the heart. I mean, all of that are clear indicators that that's not God speaking. So you identify the origin of, this, of the thought by assessing how is that thought making me feel? Not good, then it ain't God. Because every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no shifting shadow or variant of change. When Jesus spoke, the Bible says, uh, as he was teaching, the power of the Lord was present to heal people. So as he spoke, people were being healed. Is the thought getting you to think of, of sickness and the fear of sickness coming in? Anything that produces fear in you, the Bible says, God's perfect love casteth out all fear. So if it's not casting out fear, but it's ushering in fear, then it ain't God bringing that, that word to you. Come to me, all that are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. God's word brings rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Learn of me. For I'm gentle and, and meek of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When Jesus had that encounter with the woman at the well, she didn't leave and was more messed up than she was before. She left, and the Bible says there was, a, there was a, a pep in her step. There was a joy, such a joy in her, she went and told her whole town, come and see the man who told me everything that I've ever done. And the whole town got saved, and there was a revival in Samaria that day because of a woman's encounter with the voice of God. So number one, identify the origin of the thought. That doesn't stop there, because that's where people stop. Well, I, I, God, I, I, devil, I resist that thought. That's not how you resist the devil. Number two, you have to get the word of God in your heart. When the enemy came in in Luke chapter 4 and tried to sow thoughts of insecurity into Jesus, are you really the son of God? 
Are you do you really think you have that? Do you really think you're going to go out and do miracles? Do you really think you're going to go lay hands on the sick and get them to recover? Because Jesus didn't do any miracles before he went into the wilderness and fasted and prayed and returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And the Bible says then, he, this beginning of miracles, did Jesus at Cana of Galilee. But before that, he wasn't doing miracles. So the devil tried to come in and say, do you really think you're going to be, the, you really think you're the Messiah? Do you actually, if you are the Son of God, why don't you command those stones to become bread? Jesus didn't just say, devil, I resist you. I come against that thought in the name of Jesus. No, he said, devil, depart, for it is written, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Jesus' weapon of warfare was not carnal. He didn't, there wasn't a physical devil there that he took up a sword and there was like this great sword fight in, in the wilderness and, you know, blood was being shed and, you know, devil was getting a black, that's not how he fought the devil. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God for the pulling down of every stronghold, mental strongholds included, the stronghold of worry. And he said, it is written. Devil didn't give up that time. But the second time he came, showed him the mountains and brought him to the highest mountain and showed him the glories of the kingdom. And he said, these have been delivered to me and I give to whomever I wish. Bow and worship me. Jesus said, it is written. Thou shalt not worship anyone else but the Lord your God and serve him and, keep, and, and worship him. Then the devil brought him to the pinnacle of the temple and said, cast yourself down. If you're the son of God, the, devil, the angels will bear you in all their ways. They'll, they'll bear you up. You won't even dash your foot against a stone. And what did Jesus do? Away from me, Satan, for thou shalt not, for it is written, thou shalt not test the Lord your God. So every, every thought that the enemy tried to sow in Jesus' mind, Jesus always had a counter scripture. To, to, to tear down that stronghold that the enemy tried to set up in his mind. Every time the devil tried to come in with a suggestion, that's how the devil works, through the power of suggestion. Did God really say that if you ate the fruit of, the, of that tree of knowledge of good and evil that you would die? You're not going to die. He just doesn't want you to be like him. If they, actually found, if they actually understood the origins of mankind, they would already see that they were like God. God said, let us make man in our image. They already bore the image of God. But the devil worked through the power of suggestion. That's what he does to a lot of people who, who, are, 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 who don't want anything to do with God. Because he suggests to them that God is actually, the whole Bible and religion and, and Christianity, it's all about trying to strip the joy from life. It's all about trying to uh, siphon the joy tank out of life. That's why he doesn't want you to go around sleeping with other people. That's why he doesn't want you, because he doesn't want you to be happy. But in reality, if you study the scriptures, and if you understand, if you've been alive on this planet for like 18 years, you'll find out that God doesn't want you not to sleep around with other people just so that you could, just for, he's not trying to take away uh, joy from you. He's taking, he's trying to take, preserve you from sorrow, preserve you from STDs, preserve you from all kinds of things to keep you holy in his sight. Holiness is not tr God trying to strip joy from people. Holiness is God's attempt to get you to enjoy life at its fullest. But the devil works through the power of suggestion. So what do you do when he comes in telling you there's a sickness going around? You know, there, uh, that, that, that sickness, that disease runs through your genetical line. You know, um, they're saying that now it used to be one out of ten people got cancer. Now it's one out of three and it's going to be one out of two soon. 
So you should go and get screened and checked every time. Every time he tries to sow that thought, what do you do? You get the word of God. If you have thoughts and you're, you're worried about your physical health, study the word of God on divine healing and divine health. You'll find out God doesn't want, only want to get, heal you when you get sick. God has made it possible for you to live without sickness here on this earth. Psalm 91. The Bible says pestilence will stalk in darkness, but it won't come near you. So you start to study yourself in the areas that there's a deficit of faith. The reason why there's fearfulness is because there's faithlessness. Jesus, when he rose up on that, in that storm on that boat, he told the disciples, why is it that you have no fear? Uh, have no faith? Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? So fearfulness result is the result of faith, faithlessness. So what's the cure to fearfulness? Building your faith. How do you build your faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Store up his word in your heart. The Bible says that we are to let this book never depart from our eyes, lay it within our heart, for then it'll be life to them that find it and healing to all their body. So the devil tries to sow thoughts that you're going to get sick, that you're going to battle sickness the rest of your life. Start to study. Exodus 15, 26. If you'll diligently hearken to my commandments, I will not permit or allow any of the diseases that came upon the Egyptians, which you've known in Egypt, I'll not allow any of them to come on you, for I, the Lord, am your healer. If it's a fear of uh, your marriage not succeeding, you, you take out the devil trying to tell you your husband's going to run off on you, your wife's going to run off on you, you build up the word of God in that area. The Bible says that what God has put together, let no man put asunder, let no man separate. So my covenant with my spouse is not just me and her. It's me, my wife, and God. And God's the glue that keeps it together. And what God's put together, no man can put asunder. So get at least three scriptures that deals with the area of concern that you're facing today. Anytime there's doubt, anxiety, or unbelief that rises up in your heart, you can know it's a signal that you haven't built up sufficient faith in that area. Faith is compartmentalized. There's a lot of people, they have faith for salvation. There's some of you, you cannot be doubted of your salvation. If the devil tried to get you to doubt your salvation, you're so absolutely convinced that you're saved, that there's nothing that can ever get you to doubt. There's nothing that can ever pull you away from the truth that I am secure in God's salvation and whom God has in his hand, no man can take away. But then when it comes to healing, you're a mess. You're, con you're living in fear of sickness, constantly afraid of bacteria, infection, viruses going around, not realizing that the same word that promises you salvation is the same word that promises you health in this life. He brought them out with silver and gold and was none feeble amongst all their tribe. If I'm going to believe God that uh, he was pierced through for my transgressions, Isaiah 53, that his blood was shed for my sin, then I'm also going to believe in Isaiah 53 verse 4 that it says, by his stripes I am healed. I'm also going to believe that part. I'm not going to pick and choose what to believe. If you can't believe God for the temporal things, like your marriage being restored, if you can't believe God and, and, and uh, set your faith to expect restoration in your life in any area that, that the devil's ransacked, if you can't believe God for temporary things, like healing in your body, then how can you Pre, how can you believe God for the eternal? It's much easy to, easier to believe God for the temporal than it is to believe God for the eternal. 
takes just as much faith for me to release my faith that I'm saved and that when I die, there's going to be an actual heaven and there's going to be a mansion with my name on it and my, book, my name is l- listed in the Lamb's Book of Life. It takes just as much faith for me to believe that than it is for me to believe uh, that he bore my sickness and carried my pains. I'm not going to pick and choose what to believe. So you have to store, not only identify the origin of the thought that's come against you, you have to store up God's word in your heart concerning the area that the enemy is attacking you in. And then, number three, you have to think thoughts that are opposite. Think opposite thoughts. So because the Bible says that with long life he'll satisfy me, I know I'm not going to have premature death. So if the devil tries to paint a picture of you in a casket, you start to think uh, pictures of you at 80, 90 years old, traveling the world, doing cruises, whatever it is, preaching. I, I, I don't have a picture of me when I'm 70 in a home, residential home somewhere, or I'm 80 and they're scooping up like applesauce off my face because I have... You know, I, I have no ability to eat anymore by myself. I'm pretty much rendered useless. I, I, have a, I carry a picture of myself when I'm 90. When I'm 95, I'll be preaching the greatest meetings of our ministry than we've ever, most people being saved, most people being reached, most people being healed. So I think opposite, opposite thoughts. If the devil wants to get you to think your marriage is collapsing, paint a picture in your heart of your marriage. You know, imagination is a powerful force. The Bible says in Genesis 11, now this they began to do and nothing could be restrained for them of which they have imagined to do. God created you with the power to imagine. And imagination by itself doesn't do anything. But when you imagine, when you imagine things that are based on the word of God, it's a powerful force that, pr- that will produce that thing in your life. That's what hope is. Hope is painting a picture of a desirable future. That's why the devil works overtime to strip you of hope because if you have no hope, there's nothing, there's no, faith can't, faith can't, uh, can't do anything, can't substantialize anything because faith is the evidence of things hoped for. So if there's no hope, if you have a, 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 a terrible expectation of things to come and there's no good hope, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. If your hope is out, your heart's sick in discouragement and depression and, 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 uh, and, and a weighty spirit's going to come on you. So that's why you build up your hope. How do you build up your hope? You find out what God's done for others. That's hope. That's why I love hearing testimonies because it builds up my hope. But hope by itself doesn't do anything. If all I do is hope, if all I do is, you know, I have a target that I want to get to, but I don't, I don't get in. The, if I have a destination in my GPS, I want to get to Colorado by next week. But I don't actually get in my car and drive. Hope by itself doesn't do anything. Hope paints the destination. Faith is that vehicle that gets you to the destination. So number one, identify the thought from hell. Number two, get the word of God that counteracts. Counterattacks the thought the enemy is seeking to sow in your mind. And then number three, think opposite thoughts. Total opposite thoughts. And then I finish, and I'll finish with this. Stop worrying. The third thing we have to do. So that was how to deal. You have to learn to deal with thoughts. Number one was learn to live a holy life. Number two is learn to deal with the thoughts. And I gave you a three-part way to do that. And then number three is to learn to pray. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, 
Make your request known to God. Doesn't say be anxious for nothing and just wish it away. Make your request known to God. God has no obligation to answer unspoken prayer requests. I, I don't understand that. How many of you have an unspoken prayer request? If it's unspoken, then it ain't prayer. Prayer has to do with vocalizing your request. James 4 says you have not because you've asked not. So ask. And Jesus said you shall receive that your joy may be made full. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. And until you ask, nothing changes. But ask and you shall receive that your joy may be made full. Jesus said, ask me anything and I will do it. I'll bring it to pass. The Bible says in Psalm 3, that he, or Psalm 4, He will not withhold the request of your lips. God, will not, God didn't ask you to pray without having the intention to answer that prayer. Jesus told the parable of, in Luke 18 of a woman who was a widow who, who was in a jurisdiction with an unjust judge who didn't care about God and didn't care about people. And the widow began to pray, give me justice for my adversary. The Bible says the judge didn't even, didn't give her one minute of attention. But after many days, she didn't give up. Day and night she prayed. And the judge said to himself, though I don't care about God and though I do not care about man, because this widow is persistently coming to me, I will give her justice from her adversary. And Jesus said, hear what the unjust, God, the unjust judge said. And shall not the God who is just avenge his own elect who cry to him day and night? Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find that type of faith on the earth? God's looking for people that will pray. And not just pray. Lord, what, whatever you want. Ask him what you want. He told that man called Blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Oh, you know, whatever you want done in my life. I'm blind, but you know, whatever you want. Jesus said, what do you want? God is, has no needs. God is not in need. God, uh, he has everything. Prayer is not to meet God's needs. Prayer is to meet your needs. Tell him what you want. Hallelujah. And the Bible says, unto, now unto him who's able to do far more exceedingly and abundantly all that you can ask or think. So the proof that God can do, can do what you're asking him to do is the fact that you're asking him to do it. He can do far more abundantly all that you can ask or think. The very fact that you're asking is proof that God can do it and more. And I can go through story after story of me praying and God answering quickly. Daniel 9. An angel appears to Daniel after he had set 21 days of prayer and fasting. And the angel said, Daniel, I want you to know from the very first day that you opened up your mouth to pray, I was sent in response to your prayer. From the very first day. That's why Mark eleven twenty four says, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you have it. You have it. You have to understand that today. The moment I pray, I have it. And though it hasn't materialized in this physical realm, I know I have it. And nothing can convince me otherwise. That's why God told Abraham, Abraham, you've asked me for a child. I'm giving you a child. But now we're changing that name. No longer shall you call yourself Abram, the father uh, of um, exalted father. But I'm calling you from this moment onward. You call yourself by what you are. 
You asked me for a child, I'm giving you a child. And now start to call yourself by what you are now, a father of a multitude of nations. When you've prayed for something, stop complaining about it. Stop talking about it every chance you get. Stop getting around other people that are suffering with the same thing and just getting together and each of you almost having some inner circle competition. Oh, you think things are bad for you? Let me tell you about me. Let me, you know, as if there's like this competition and who has it worse? Instead, change your confession. I've prayed about it. I've cast my care on the Lord. I'm not, I'm not reeling it back in. I've cast it in God's hands. I'm not taking it back. It's too many people, they come to an altar, they cast their cares on the Lord, but then they pick it right back up and they go back to their seat and then they're back in the same spot. Nothing's changed. Do like Hannah did. She prayed for a child. Eli said, by this time next year, you'll have a child. And she got up, wiped her tears and said, well, that settles it. I'm going to hold my baby. Abraham said, I'm going to hold my Isaac. And, and, and what happened? God was not a man that he should lie. By that time next year, Abraham had his Isaac. Hallelujah. So how do you stop worrying? Live holy. Number one. Number two. Take captive those thoughts that have come against you. Don't let them run rampant in your mind. And then number three. Learn to pray. Make your request known to God. And when you do, the God of peace will guard your mind with a peace that surpasses all understanding. You'll get people around you. Well, why are you so happy? When this is going on in your life. Why are you so happy when this? Because my God will take care of me. Because I've already, I've already put in my petition to God's, into God's hands. And the Bible says whatever we pray if it be in his will. Which his word is his will. Then I know that I have the request of which I've asked of him. So I don't have to doubt whether God heard me. Because I didn't pray my will. I prayed his word. And his word already deals with my situation. And if it deals with my situation. Then I know that I have the request of which I've asked for. So when the next time the devil comes in. Do you really think it's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah it will. For it is written. It is written. It is written. That whatsoever things I ask when I pray. I believe that I have it. And it shall be given unto me. It shall be given to me going to materialize in the name of Jesus I pray for everyone watching right now anyone that carries a spirit of fear spirit of depression of suicide a spirit of heaviness that comes on you I remove that from your shoulders right now I break every stronghold of the mind every stronghold of worry every pattern of thought that has got you to go on these unholy thinking cycles that it's like you think one thought and it's like an avalanche. All of a sudden, a thought of like of a pain in your body comes. And then all of a sudden, five minutes later, you're checking WebMD and you you have six months to live. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, those, those unholy patterns of thought are being cast down. And your mind, the, the, the process of the renewing of the mind has begun today in Jesus' mighty name. In the name of Jesus. You're putting off the old man. You're putting off the old pattern of thinking. And you're being renewed in the spirit of your mind from today. And you're putting on the new man. The man that thinks like God. The man that speaks like God. The man that, the, though the ways of God are higher than our ways. The Bible says he makes, way, he makes known his ways unto his people. 
I, I curse every spirit of fear. I command it to leave and take its hand off your life today in Jesus' mighty name. Though you've been a Martha up until now, worried and anxious about many things, from today you'll carry yourself like a Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus, hearing what, doesn't matter what your doctor said, doesn't matter what your psychiatrist said, doesn't matter what your physician said, doesn't matter what your banker said, doesn't matter what your backslidden aunt said, doesn't matter what your parents said. Some of you grew up in homes that were very pessimistic and in an environment that was very pessimistic and it was like conducive to think and adopt a negative pattern of thinking. But I tell you in the name of Jesus Christ, those strongholds are coming down. In the name of Jesus. Doesn't matter what they say. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and heard the word from his mouth. Who has believed my report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? The Bible says, believe in, his, in God and ye shall be established. Believe in his prophets and ye shall prosper. As long as Josiah sought the word of the Lord, God made him to prosper everywhere he went. You know when you'll stop worrying? When you start to realize that there's more for you than there are against you. When you start to realize that the enemy, the greatest attack the enemy ever did was trying to keep Jesus dead. And he lost that one. Because there's more power in Jesus' left pinky toe than there is in all of, the, all of the kingdom of hell and darkness. That's why Hebrews 13 says, let me read this and then, I'll, and then we'll finish up. Tonight, 7 p.m. in Cutstown, Pennsylvania. If you're in the area, I'd love for you to come out. They've been powerful meetings. Very powerful meetings. Hebrews chapter 13. Listen to this. Let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Confidence in the abiding presence of God is what, char what will charge you up. To break free from worry forever. It'll charge you up with a, a tenacity in your heart to face the future. Like that song says, because he lives, I know I, will f uh, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I know. I know I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because he lives, be not only because he lives, but because he lives in me, I know I can face tomorrow. For he himself has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Whatever God has said in his book concerning you, you can boldly say it. And the Bible says when they, they stayed there a long while speaking boldly in the Lord, the Lord confirmed the word spoke with signs and wonders. What you can't boldly say, you'll never hold in your hands. But if you'll boldly speak in the face of worry, You'll never prosper. No, God said he has pro pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. You'll never have an open door in that. No, great and effective doors are open unto me. And though there be many adversaries, the Bible says no man will be able to stand before me all the days of my life. Well, you'll never have victory in, in that sin. You'll constantly be in bondage. No, sin shall no longer have dominion over me that I shall bear it in its lust. Sin no longer reigns in my mortal body. I now have righteousness in me. And that righteousness gives me power to live holy even as he is holy. 
devil comes in, you're going to be sick and die an early death. No, the Bible says that he will take sickness out of my midst. And the Bible says very clearly, he sent his word and it healed us and delivered us from all destruction. I pray that that boldness is coming alive on the inside of you right now in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. That's right, Lisa. If he said it, it shall surely come to pass. As long as I do my, my, my work, as long as I uphold my part of the covenant. A covenant is a contract that has well-defined terms for both parties. A, contract, a covenant is a contract between two or more parties with well-defined terms. So if I do my part, just like Moses, he did his part. He took the rod and he waved it over the sea. God went to work and did his part. It, Moses did his small little part, what is humanly possible, to lift up that rod. And it wasn't humanly possible to split a sea. But when you do your small part, Peter had to step out, on the out of the water, out of the boat. Peter had to step out of the boat into the water by faith. And Jesus was still far from him. Everybody loves to criticize him. Because he sank, but you're not entitled to criticize anybody until you've done what they've done and better. Until then, keep your mouth shut. Peter stood on the water and began to walk on water. Well, he didn't stand on water. He didn't walk on water because he stayed in the boat. He got out of the boat. He did what was possible in his, in his, his ability. But then God's ability came on him because faith allows you to tap into the omnipotency of God. And it, that nature begins to flow through you. And the nature of God overrides nature and natural laws. The nature of God is very clear. He, make, he, he makes even the winds and the waves to obey Him. Faith brings into obedience all things around you so as to produce the promise that God has, has given to you. Faith will bring into obedience. Faith will move heaven and earth to bring about the promise in your life. If you're watching right now and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I'd encourage you to do so right now. Pray this with me. Never given your life to Jesus or maybe you have but you want to recommit your life to Christ. Today's your day. Pray this from the bottom of your heart, the depths of your heart. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you raised Christ from the dead and I confess that Jesus is Lord of my life. Come live in me. Fill me with your spirit. Baptize me in fire. Let old things pass away. Let everything become new. Today, June 8th, 2021, I'm a new creature. And I'm going to walk in the good works that God has prepared for me. Empowered by your spirit, Washed by your blood, never to be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to get in contact with me, salvationnow.ca, first link that pops up. I just got saved. Fill it out. I want to help you out. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji, or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.